Hey, I'm delighted to be back at Romans chapter 12. I mean, it's not like we really left Romans 12, but we did do that little uh, sidebar with spiritual gifts. People like to discuss spiritual gifts. They're, they're light and breezy and airy. And But now we get back to the hard work of working through a, a passage, which I, I'm telling you, it's not an easy passage. Um, I, I've told you, uh, I, really beginning at verse 3 of chapter 12, Paul is giving you his theology of the church. His whole theology of the church has to do or is summarized or is best illustrated in this thing called the body. And we've, we've looked at that uh, for the last four or five weeks. Um, but these verses four through eight were describing the different roles that people play in the body to keep it healthy. Um, the, the interdependence and the, 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 the mutuality uh, and the interconnectedness of, of God's people in the, in the church of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but now we come to verse 9. And these next three verses, at least really until the end of the chapter, are, are describing how Christians are supposed to live together with other Christians in the body. Again, remember, this is Paul's theology of the church. He's given you this illustration about how things should function how things uh, uh, are to operate. And then he's going to give you some exhortations, which are really rather difficult. Trying to outline and tell you what the church would look like if she were functioning as she's supposed to. What would the church, what would she do? What would she, what would she look like? Now, don't forget that chapter 12 begins with this... Um, don't present your bodies or present your bodies as living sacrifices based on the mercies of God and all that business. Uh, my point is simply this, guys. Everything that he's about to ask you to do and to be as, as a member of the community of God's people is based on that, uh, that, that assumption that you're converted. That is, um, guys, we can't even keep the laws of the state, much less pull this off unless we're regenerate unless we've been born of the Spirit, unless we've been born from above, unless God has exchanged that heart of stone for a heart of flesh. But if he has done that, that work of sovereign grace to, to make us new creatures, then once we get together in a place called a church, this is what she's supposed to look like. This is what these, this group of redeemed people would look like if she were functioning um, in, in a, in a spirit dominated way, he's going to give you some practical aspects of community sanctification, <laughs> community holiness, church holiness, um, which, which is to be true of indiv- each individual Christians, but it's to be true of us as a, an aggregate as well. What should the Christian community look like? What should she do? And that's what these verses are about. Let me just read you one of them. Let me, let me, let me state that question again. And then I want to read you one simple verse that is, oh my. Um, what should the Christian community look like? What should she be doing? Let love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Now, guys, for the rest of this chapter, he's going to be giving you some stuff like that, which is really um, um, profoundly beautiful and profoundly complex. There's no real order in all that he that he gives you, I don't think, but I, I, I would like to point this out. He does begin with love. For the Apostle Paul, love has preeminence. Now, guys, um, I, I, I point this out because I think we get, maybe this is ugly of me, but um, I think we get taught some things in Sunday school, and sometimes they're not true. For instance, I know that you've heard that there are three, that there are three Greek words uh, that are translated love in the New Testament. There's agape, there's um, philos, and then there's eros. Eros is supposed to be romantic sexual love, and philos is supposed to be love between brothers, and, and agape is supposed to be God's love. I bet you've heard that. I want you to know that's wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. And, and I can prove that. Because the word that you find here, the word that's translated love, is agape. This is not discussing God's love for his people. It's discussing our love for each other. And he uses the word agape. Um, which which is very consistent with Pauline theology, guys, with, with other Pauline passages. It's interesting that the same sequence that you find in Romans 12 is what you find in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. You remember this whole subject of spiritual gifts? Uh, start. Paul introduces, not introduces, he, he just mentions it in 1 Corinthians 12 because the exercise of spiritual gifts had become a problem. It had become a real divisive issue in the body of Christ. And so he's addressing the, the issue of spiritual gifts because it was such a problem. And then, having introduced it, tried to say a few things about how to correct the problems, he launches into this treatise, most probably the most famous passage in the Bible, on love. First Corinthians 13. You know, I know you've heard me say this before, but some of you are new. I'm going to say it again. Um, guys, that 1 Corinthians 13 passage is a, is a description of love that's supposed to exist between us. Not between a husband and a wife. That, 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 you know, I, and I, every time people ask me, which is about 50% of the time, if I'm going to do their wedding, they want me to somewhere read 1 Corinthians 13. And I always say, I will not do that. I will not read 1 Corinthians 13 in a marriage ceremony because it wasn't intended to describe the love that exists between a husband and a wife. It's intended to describe the love that's supposed to exist among us. Among us. And the sequence that you find in 1 Corinthians is the same sequence that you find in Romans 12. Spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, love. Just like you find here. Um, now, um, he immediately, like he does in 1 Corinthians 13, he begins to show you or give you or fill in the content of what he has in mind. Now, love is not jealous. Love hopes all things, endures all things, uh, hopes all things, etc., etc. Well, here, he says it, he says, he uses some different language, but he wants to make sure that you understand that love is not some sentiment. Guys, this is a really big-time misunderstood word. 
Um, I, I never will forget. I, I used to in my um, my premarital counseling. I, when, when I first started my ministry, if you were gonna, if I was if I was going to do your marriage, if I was going to do your wedding, you had a premarital counseling you had to go to, and, and I forget how many it was. I think it was nine sessions. It was long. And, you know, by about session six, they were sick of me, and I was sick of them. You know, they, they were just, don't want to make us come back here. And so over the years, I've, I've, I'm wiser, <laughs> a little. Um, and so I've shrunk it, you know. It's down to three. <laughs> but I never will forget. Um, one of the things I always do in my premarital counseling, this is the way it starts. This is the way I've given them an assignment before they ever come to see me. And so when they arrive on the, on the first uh, premarital counseling, yada, yada, they have an assignment, and number one assignment is this, define love. Now, ladies and gentlemen, over the years, that means that I've read quite a few definitions of love. And, and I want you to know, I, I can with authority say it is a vastly misunderstood word. You know, I remember one young man, I mean, he got carried away with his eloquence. And he he talked about how he feels when he walks into a room and she's on his arm. That was love for him. Because when he walked into a room, she was so good looking that everybody would turn and look at him and say, how did you ever get a date with that chick? Now, that happens to be true of a lot of us in here, does it not? But, uh, but that was love. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see how, how emasculated that is? Love is the stuff that makes me really feel good about myself when, um, when uh, you know, she's on my arm and everybody looks at me and thinks I'm really cool. Can you imagine a human being defining love like that? Happens all the time. I get them... I get them more often than not. Gang, I want you to notice the first thing that Paul says that love does. Okay? Not love between a husband and a wife. You want to see it? The first thing that love does is that love abhors. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That's the first thing that it does. Now, before he gets to that, he tells you the first thing that it is. He says, love is to be genuine. Now, a lot of your, your translations will be different. Many of you will have the word sincere in there. Um, I love to do this. Um, um, that is, if it works. Um, oh, look at there. Um, uh now, you hate that word. You hate it. You don't know that you hate it, but you hate it. It's a, it's a combination of, of a preposition and a, oh, a noun and a verb. Um, but translated, it's translated like this. In the, in the Greek language, I don't know what your English word is in, your, in Romans 12.9, but this is the Greek word. And the word is hupokritas. Does that ring a bell? Ah, it says love without hypocrisy. Love is to be genuine. Guys, in, in Greek drama, um, an actor was a hypocritas. 
It, 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 surely you've seen in some of your education, you've seen Greek drama, and they would they would have these masks, and they would come out, and they have you know they have the frowning one, and then they have the happy one, and they would they would they would play different parts depending on the mask that they had. That was a hypocritas. Um, and so they wore masks. Paul says, I'm to love without a mask. I'm to love without any kind of ingenuineness. I'm, I'm, I'm not supposed to fake this. You know, guys, uh, by the way, one other word I, I just want to introduce and then I'll move on to. But some of your words has the word, uh, some of your translations has the word sincere in there. That's another, but that's a Latin word. It's not a Greek word. Uh, sincere comes from a, um, from a Latin word, sensare. Um, and you perhaps have heard this before. It's a, it means without wax. Um, uh, pottery salesmen would take fine pieces of pottery and they would, that were cracked and they would fix them because they would, they would take wax and pour it in the cracks and they would, that would make it more valuable and paint it up and cover it all up and, and they'd sell them at a higher price. Sincere means that you love without any wax in there, without any admixtures. You love, you love genuinely. You know, guys, I did, I did singles for six years and I loved it. You know, I, I could probably one of the, some of the happiest six years, we just, you know, I taught twice a week and played racquetball five times a week. It was a really an easy job. Um, I, I wouldn't mind having that one again. Um, when, but, um, but I dealt with singles. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought that you were loved only to find out that you really weren't? Have you ever believed that you were loved by someone? And then you found out through a set of circumstances, uh, I was fooled. I was, I was duped. Guys, there's nothing worse than to have the the, the rich kind of exhilaration of thinking that I'm loved only to discover that it was phony. Here's the point, guys, or one of the points. Churches do that. Christians do that. Christians fake love. Pastors do that. You think I love you? Do I? might. But I can fool myself. Maybe I can fool you. Do you love me? I don't know. And yet, in, in the when Paul begins to describe what a Christian community should look like, preeminent in his mind is that you and I would love without one shred of hypocrisy in it. That, that we would love and we would be genuine. We would be um, without wax. You know, I heard years ago, um, years ago, uh, Chuck Swindoll, you've heard that name, Chuck Swindoll, um, wrote books back then, and I would buy every book that he would write, and I would steal all of his illustrations and stories and 
put them in my sermons and act like they were mine. I, I really have not done that to you. I've always said, you know, I don't have original thought in my body. I mean, I only got about two of them. Uh, two, and whenever they're original, I, I usually tell you that those are really, I made this up. But the rest of it is, if it's not in a book or on a tape, I don't know it. Um, but I remember Chuck Swindoll, I don't know whether he said this. Um, you know, I got interviewed by Chuck Swindoll one time. Did I ever tell you that? I mean, when we got in California. Remember that, Sue? Um, it was really interesting. We were just out in California in a meeting, and uh, we wanted to go to church one night. We, we went to Chuck Swindoll's church, and he was preaching, and he said, Hey, why don't you come up here? I want to talk to you. <laughs> and he interviewed us. It was really interesting. But anyway, um, they took us out to supper, too, but it wasn't him. It was the, the, the other. Anyway, um, that part I really liked when they paid for supper, you know. Uh, um, but one of the things that Chuck Swindoll has said that has, that has left an imprint on me, he said, You know, when I get to heaven, um, I don't know whether God is going to say, Boy, Chuck, you wrote some great books. Boy, Chuck, you pastored some great churches, Chuck. Boy, Chuck, you, you were really a good counselor, Chuck. He said, I'm not sure whether God's going to say any of that and I don't care. The one thing that I hope God will say to me when I stand before Him is, Chuck, At least you were real. Okay, brother and sister in Christ, everybody in here needs to share that sentiment. We are to love without any wax. We are to love, and we have to work at doing it. It's not easy to love me. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you're saying that, and I don't blame you. You have to work through to that. But the last thing we want to do is fake it. Now, guys, I've got 12 minutes left, and really most of my comments were on the other end of this text. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Cling to what is good. Guys, one of the things that love does is that it abhors. It doesn't just avoid evil. It abhors it. You know, when um, when we had the, we still have the girls. They're still our daughters, but they're not living with our. But um, when we were raising when they were little, um, I, I bet you. I bet you as a daddy, I was asked this 25 times in the course of raising three daughters. And the question was, Daddy, do you hate the devil? <laughs> and um, and then one of the girls would ask that, you know, from the back of the van. We'd be, you know, driving down someplace and one of the girls would say, Daddy, do you hate the devil? And then one of the other girls would say, oh, no, no, no. You're not supposed to hate. She's wrong. She's wrong, ladies and gentlemen. There are things that when biblical love exists, it shows itself, it manifests itself in hating that which is You know, guys, I, you may think, well, you know, I, I, I've always been taught I'm not supposed to hate anything. Well, let me just tell you this. 
I, I would invite you to check into Proverbs chapter 6, where God says, There are six things the Lord hates, yea, a seventh. That is, I mean, if you, if you want to model this God, then one of the things, I, I want to show you this too, guys. Go with me real quick to Psalm 104. I want to show you something that the psalmist is doing. Are you there? (laughs) It's a rather lengthy psalm, and I'm not going to read the psalm, I I promise. But I just want to give you a a, a flavor of the psalm. Um, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment. Verse 5, he set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered the deep with the garment. Verse 8, the mountains rose, the valley sank down. Verse 9, you set a boundary. Verse 12, besides them, the birds of the heavens will. Verse 14, you caused the grass to grow. Verse 16, the trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons and the sun to know it's time for the setting. You make the darkness. Um, verse 21, the... <coughs> The young lions roar for their prey. When the sun rises, they steal away. Um, Oh, Lord, verse 24. Oh, how manifold are your works and wisdom. Have you made them all? The earth is full of your creatures. Um, uh, Verse 27. These all look to you to give them their food. When you hide your face, verse 29, um, they are dismayed. Verse 30. When you send forth your spirit. Verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. Who looks on the earth and and, and it trembles. Uh, I will sing, verse 33. I will sing to the Lord as long as I will live. I will Sing the prayer. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Verse 35. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. What in the world did he do? How do you understand that? Ladies and gentlemen, oh, great. Ooh, wonderful. This is great. I hope they go to hell. What kind of reasoning is that? How do you follow this? What, what, what could possibly have, have gripped the psalmist to say such an ugly thing? You know what it was? He was in love with his God. And the more he found himself in love with his God, he couldn't help this thing that comes back. Bursting out of his mouth. And may the wicked be consumed. When I get overcome with this glorious God, the first thing that happens is that evil gets hated. Let me, let me show you just one. It's not that long, but it's in Psalm 97. Verse 10. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Um, that was Psalm 97.10 if I, if I lost you. Guys, um, you can feign some kind of super spirituality and say, well, you know, I don't ever teach my children to hate anything. I mean, we don't even hate the devil because, you know, hate, that's really bad. All I can tell you is, not only do you have an injunction to do so, 
you have it on display in the Psalms. You have psalmists caught up in the grandeur and the beauty of God. And the, one of the things that comes along with that is, I can't stand evil. Notice in the text, you have, you have the two opposite ends of the spectrum um, there to be treated with two opposite ends of the spectrum. I'll show you. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Abhor, hold fast, evil, good. Two spectrums, evil, good. Another spectrum, abhor, cling. So your response to one is to cling. Your response to the other is to abhor. Um... Guys, again, let me, let, let me remind you what Paul is doing. This is his theology of the church. And he's saying when love is preeminent among us, what is evil is hated. That, that's, that's genuine spirituality. I mean... Um, that's not substandard. That's, that's what Paul would call a really healthy community of God's people. But we got a little problem, don't we? We don't do either of those. We don't love. without hypocrisy. We don't abhor what is evil. In fact, we laugh about it. And we don't hold fast to what is good. I'm I'm just trying to outline for you, my brother and sister in Christ, what the church is supposed to look like. We're not only not to do evil. We're supposed to hate it. So when you tell the dirty jokes, you know, and look at the girly magazines, eh, you know, that probably is not, not sanctioned by the New Testament. Probably, probably ought to give that up. Guys, um, our problem is that we're not in love. We're not in love with each other. We're not in love with this God. And and um, evil is far more acceptable to us um, than it ought to be. I'll say one other thing. I'll quit. Um, we, we talked about this in our grace group um, Sunday night. But more theological mistakes are made by this misunderstanding than I, than I know of. 
gas. Um, that's not a Greek word, that's an English word. <laughs> it might be looks like that, but um, have you ever heard of that word, monergistic? Um, regeneration, uh, if you want to call it the rebirth, um, born, whatever it is. That is a monergistic work. You know, mono means one. Um, God accomplishes regeneration without your participation. He exchanges a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And He does that monergistically. Okay? But from that moment on, everything is synergistic. There's a cooperation that's going on. I, I, I introduced that, guys, to simply say, th- th- this stuff that is being outlined in this section are, are admonitions that you and I are supposed to accomplish in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. But, guys, we are not going to love genuinely waiting for somebody to give me a cup full of that so that I can drink it. We are to actively... Guys, this is the best way I could come up with it. We must do acts of love while in the process of repenting. Because we haven't done acts of love and we haven't abhorred evil. No, we haven't done those things. But we are being called upon to do those things um, as a community of God's people. And this is a work that you and I participate in. It's a synergy. It's a cooperation between us in dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. But we are to pursue these things. Knowing that we're not, we pursue them at the same time repenting. Repenting of our failings. Guys, I I hope that you'll come back next week because there's a whole lot I'd I'd like to say about the importance of a healthy church. Um, And I I really would like to say that, but I can't say that tonight. But guys, a healthy church is going to be the result of a group of believers who recognize this is what I'm called to, or this is a portion of what I'm called to. I haven't done it, but I'm going to pursue it while repenting of my failings in the past. Let's, um, let's try to pull this off. What do you say? More important than you know, I think. We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Lord, I, I do thank you for your word. It's, it's fun to have the privilege of handling it. And yet, uh, as you well know, I'm, I'm no um, more successful in doing these things than any person in this room. And we, but we do long, oh God, to have a church that is um, 
loving and genuineness and abhorring that which is evil and clinging to that which is good. Uh, Might those who come in here have some sense of impression that these people love each other without faking it. They hate what is evil, but the good they're drawn to, they delight in, and they long to see it made more manifest in each of their lives. That's what we want, O God, and um, by the power and the might of the Holy Ghost, would you aid us in bringing it about. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.